0: all right how's everybody doing today good. good all right is everybody enjoying this cold weather as much as I am <laughs> <laughs> I love winter <laughs> but I would prefer it to be snowing honestly so all right well we're gonna jump in today so we're wrapping up um, part two of what is the Bible and kind of starting with part three um, so part two um, the, the last chapter of that asks the question or, or says why Americans often miss the major themes of the Bible so really what Rob Bell is postulating here is that because of cultural differences um, Americans have a hard time sometimes understanding some of the nuance or, or um, the, even the main themes of scripture uh, does anybody have a guess as to why that might be anything they can think of yeah that's a great point so if you didn't hear she said she said um, that that we have a tendency to focus on individuality and the individual, and uh, we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, which uh, which is certainly a good thing. But uh, sometimes we kind of overlook the um, the communal or corporate aspect of of worship. Uh, whereas all of um, all of life for anyone in in the Middle East, um, you know, 5,000 years ago, and even today, is very communal in nature. Uh, there's really not not much of a sense of individuality you do things because it makes you happy is not uh <laughs> is not a concept really so that's a great point any other thoughts on that yes sir um,
1: i think <coughs> the american church is often caught up in tradition um and i think we sometimes forget to even continually interpret the bible um, and we just say this is how we've done it yeah so, absolutely we miss a lot.
0: absolutely absolutely do you have thoughts too? You look like you were gonna say something important.
2: Yeah. Aren't we like the wealthiest society to ever exist on Earth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that,
0: yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. great um, an
2: exaggeration. Society, maybe as many people. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes. Um what the Right, yeah. but, like, as, but uh, right,
0: yeah. yes. Yep, absolutely. Um, that is that is a great point. Um, and so that's actually Rob Bell's point in this chapter. So um, others of you had had great thoughts. And, and I think that we do need to keep those in mind as we read scripture is that there's just a lot of cultural differences between, uh, you know, somebody in 2018 in the United States of America than there was in, you know, uh, B.C. 800 in, you know, Palestine. Um, And so just need to be aware of those as we're as we're reading scripture. But to your point, um, America is I mean, it's it's a superpower in the world. Um, And what a lot of um, scripture is about, um, some of the major themes are how to how to um, what to do with power. So the Israelites were an oppressed people. So we look back um, starting all the way with the Exodus under Pharaoh. They're an oppressed people. Um, And then in Jesus's time, there had been this line of oppression from the Babylonians uh, all the way forward to um, for for hundreds and hundreds of years. uh, All from, you know, Assyrians just just over and over up until we get to the Romans. And so um, so a lot of Jesus's teaching are to people who are oppressed. Um, and so sometimes, you know, when we hear things like uh, turn the other cheek or um, give up your your cloak or go the second mile um, what that's tinged with is um, h- He's talking to people who are in a situation of oppression um, and what to do in those um, in those scenarios um, And we kind of miss a little bit of the nuance because uh, most of us are in positions of power um, and, I, and I think that um, of course, there are varying degrees of that. Um, I think you know, gender and and race and age and and other things kind of um, makes you have more or less power in our society. But uh, for the most part, when we look at America as a whole and America's influence in the world, it's very comparable, in my opinion, um, and I think probably in Rob Bell's opinion too, to um, to what Rome would have been to the Jews in the first century. Do you have anything to to add to that? Any pushback or anything? Not yet. Perfect. <laughs> um, so some of the themes emerging in scripture are what, what will you do with your power and your wealth and your might and with all of those armies that you're amassing. Uh, so a lot of what scripture talks about, um, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago when the Israelites are going into the land and they're hearing the law for the second time, um, it, God says, this is, here is the law. Remember these things for when things are going well for you. Um, So remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Take care of the oppressed and the orphan and the widow and the sojourner in your land because you were once slaves in Egypt. And you're gonna forget that you were once slaves in Egypt when you suddenly have a land of your own and you have kings of your own and you have wealth and power of your own and you might start using those things to oppress the people around you. So don't, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what God has done for you. Don't think that now that you have power, that is your, um, you know, God-given right to then oppress the people around you. Um, what kind of world will you create with it? And so wealth and power and might um, are not necessarily bad things. Um, I think that, that all good gifts come from God and um, how we use them um, is, is, you know, you, can't, you cannot help. If you were born into a family with money, you can't help that you were born in America where you are more wealthy than than most other countries. You can't can't help some of the power situations that you're in, but what you can help is what you do with those situations, how you interact with the people around you, how you use your resources uh, to spread the kingdom of God rather than the kingdoms of this world. so will you use it to manipulate and overpower others to build your empire even bigger? Or, or will you use it to help the widow, the orphan, and the refugee among you? Um, so we have this really interesting thing that happens in First um, Kings 10. So if you have your Bible or if you have your, um, your phones with you, oh, you all have the Android phones like me because they're the best kind, but I think you can probably find a Bible on your iPhone too. They probably have that functionality.
2: Apple doesn't allow Bible
0: So in 1 Kings 10, uh, we have a couple of things going on here. So um, I'll kind of skim through and read some of this. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. I love that. She's she's pretty awesome. So she came to Jerusalem with a very great... How do you say that word?
2: Caravan.
0: No, that's not, that's not the word that's I have. A, caravan. a great caravan. <laughs> cool. Great caravan with... no 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 no. mine says r-e-t-i-n-u-e thank you you. i've never heard that word caravan not getting political (laughs) this morning guys i promise (laughs) all right with a great retinue with camels we all learned a new word today apparently (laughs) retinue means caravan uh bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind, and Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the report until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. So the queen of Sheba has heard about Solomon and she comes to him to find out if what she has heard is true. And what she says is that because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king and he made you king so that you could execute justice and righteousness. Um, So that's, that's what she saw in him. Um, And then, and so um, Solomon gave her a gift and she returns home. And then a little bit later on in the very same chapter, uh, we hear about Solomon's great wealth. So starting in 14. Now, the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each. So we just hear on and on and on how much gold he has, uh, the lions and uh, drinking vessels and peacocks and silver and ivory and all of this great stuff. Um, he and then in twenty six it says, and Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had fourteen hundred chariots and twelve hundred horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. So what 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 do you think is interesting about this scenario? Do you think it's interesting? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of a chariot? Yes. And most people in this time did not have their family chariot with the car seat in the back uh, that they were just driving around in. A chariot, and especially with the horses in front of it, was used to go to war with people. So what this is saying, and, and what would he have been going to war to do to, defend his
1: wealth.
0: to what now defend
1: his wealth,
0: defend his wealth and world, and and to grow his wealth <laughs> so the queen of sheba comes in and says i see that god has given you all of these great things and he is giving you these things so that you can execute justice and righteousness and then in the very next verse we hear what solomon is doing with his great wealth which is hoarding it and amassing more great wealth um, possibly at the expense of others through through war um, and so and then this is what Israel is going to get called out about over and over and over um, in the in the major and minor prophets um, so we see they were an oppressed people God told them, When you come into the land, remember these things because you are going to start oppressing people if you don't, Um, if you don't remember my words, if you don't start taking care of the most vulnerable people, then you're going to start using the most vulnerable people to amass more wealth and to amass more power. Um, And that's exactly what happens. And so over and over in the Old Testament, um, we have the prophets calling out to Israel and saying, return to the Lord, return to what God has told you. He told you what to do with your power. He told you what to do with your wealth. He told you how to take care of the widow and the orphan and the refugee um, and all of those that are the most vulnerable in society. And if you don't turn back to these things, this is eventually going to be your downfall because God does hear the cry of the oppressed. He heard their cry in Egypt and he hears the cries of the oppressed and calls Israel to stand on the side of the oppressed rather than the oppressor in all of these situations. And so what scripture, um, what some of the huge themes of scripture, and we see this with with Jesus and um, and what Jesus was about is what to do with your power, what to do with your wealth um, in a way that glorifies God, in a way that um, that says, this is what we are about. This is what God's people are about. It's not about power. It's not about wealth. It's not about having more and more and more. It's about giving up of ourselves the way that Jesus gave up of his self. Um, and so when you read scripture, um, just keep that in mind. Do you guys have any questions or anything that you want to discuss about this section? I well,
3: didn't want them to have a king at all. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because right. he said, No, I'm going to give them what
0: they wanted. <coughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you knew it was going to go bad for Psalm 20. Absolutely. 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 Mm-hmm. So let's see. We're going to skip Psalm 20. Mm-hmm. I think we we touched on that well enough. Um, So how, we kind of talked about this a little bit, um, but so how does our culture differ from the cultures in which which scripture was, was written? How doesn't it, right? And I would say too the the culture that this was written to they were they were a nation that had an identity as the, the as God's nation uh, where we uh, we are in this culture a people of God um, that have been called into this this church this community um, but we we are this inside of this nation whereas there are Christians in a number of other nations too so there's not one Christian nation the way there was a Jewish nation. So I think that, that um that's a lens that we have to remember as well. Yes, ma'am.
1: Also within that we also have an independence within
3: um our faith and our religion and how we grow in it. Whereas um in the, in the biblical times it was reliance upon other people to um grow and know what to do, whereas we have the freedom to uh to have interpretation of, hmm. uh, based
1: on their interpretation. Hmm. It's also much safer to be a Christian now, I feel like, like
0: there's not yeah. <laughs> threats
1: of death or yeah. anything like
0: absolutely. that. Yeah, not absolutely. Not in the United States, anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, so, w- so when we read some of um, Paul or or some of the the Gospels who were written to people who were um, being oppressed and persecuted it, it, it would be um, you know very different if we were in a position where we were also being persecuted absolutely different things would stand out to us for sure so how does scripture speak to those who are oppressed what what word does scripture have for people who are oppressed just based on based on your knowledge of, of what you know about scripture.
3: Old Testament maybe all, and all of it. I guess there's a hope yeah. oppressed people that's beyond this life. Absolutely. There's peace in um uh, having faith and this isn't the end for you. Absolutely. I mean it, I guess it allows for peace in bad things when the bad things are going on around you.
0: Absolutely. There's a lot that we can't control, um, but, but there, you know, we can control our response to things. And, um, and when we <coughs> know that God is ultimately in control and God has already defeated the powers of darkness and evil, um, and we know that we're looking forward into a future uh, where God's shalom reigns over everything, um, then that, that helps. Um, that you know, If you were struggling day to day, I think that would be a beautiful hope to look forward to. What else?
3: I mean, I think when you
1: remember, like, the Sermon on the Mount, it kind of, Jesus' view of oppressed people is very high. Yeah. Um, and just kind of, like, kind of takes groups of people that are looked down upon in, like, our own society today or our own society back then and, like, kind of flips it. So, like, the, the way he says it, it, almost sounds like it would be better to be one of those yeah. to be a rich
0: person. Absolutely, the preferential treatment of the poor and the oppressed. It's actually those that you think are the least that are the greatest. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's definitely a word of hope for sure. Um, And another one that I carry with me is that uh, if you are oppressed, God does not necessarily say he's going to swoop in and save the day right now, but he does say, I'm right there with you. I know. I know what you're going through. I hear your cries uh, and I'm not going to leave you. And I think that that's a word of hope for people that are in situations of oppression. So how does scripture speak to those who are the oppressors?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, in what way? Absolutely. Matthew twenty-five. You see somebody that needs a cup of water, or you see somebody that is in prison, or doesn't have clothes, or is sick. Um, if you if you do for those people, you are doing for Jesus. So the word to the oppressor in that situation, who would, um, or maybe not necessarily the oppressor, but somebody who would who would turn a blind eye to those things, is that you're you're turning a blind eye to to God, to the image of God, to to um, someone who has value and who matters.
3: Rich man Lazarus. Yeah. That's a scary thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You had your comfort here on earth. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think it's, it doesn't say that wealth is bad necessarily. Mm-hmm. Solomon, of course, is an example of somebody who's blessed by God and gets a lot of wealth. But then mm-hmm. chapter 13, or the next chapter from what we read, talk about how Solomon was led away from God because of his many wives and all these political marriages. and So I think um, wealth isn't bad, but it's dangerous. And that's what Jesus says a lot. It's very dangerous because it can take your priorities from where they should be. Right. And you become an oppressor of others instead of one who relieves oppression. So yeah. if you're given, and that, that's what I hear as Americans, that we, we've been given a lot. And so we have responsibility. The great power comes great responsibility. Is in the Bible somewhere? Somewhere, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> <A> Spider Man. <laughs> should be in the Bible. So. <laughs> that 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 theme is in the Bible for sure. So wealth can be dangerous because it can lead you to think of it. it's about me. Mm-hmm. I got this great wealth, and how great am I? versus yeah. seeing it as God gifting you something because he wants you to use that to serve others. Absolutely. You get wealth and you're
3: afraid to lose it. Right. So you keep your mm-hmm. eye on that. How do I keep losing it? Instead yeah. of, oh, I'm blessed. I need to share my blessing.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's really hard not to want more, no matter how much you have. Absolutely. I mean, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'll be fine if we just have a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then never you always say that you never yeah get a little bit
0: more. right I know I've done that with every every you know chance I've had to get a raise I'm like oh I'm gonna start yeah. saving this or I'm gonna start giving more and then you know my lifestyle changes and suddenly I'm just as strapped as I was before and um and and um you know I, I think if you're not intentionally giving and, and to your point I think that one of the greatest idols that we face as um, the United States of America, Christians in the United States, is, is the idolatry of safety and security and uh, wanting to make sure that we have enough for the future, wanting to make sure that, that um, you know, our, our 401k is padded enough that we'll be taken care of. So we think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look out for myself rather than the people around me, or I'm gonna make sure that I'm safe and not care about the people around me. I'm gonna close myself up in my gated community and not take care of the people around me. Or,
3: it makes me feel so bad. I work in a skilled nursing center in downtown Franklin, which you'd think that's what I'm obviously not for. But uh, people that are in the skilled nursing center are poor. And um, it's called Clavering Hughes. And it is, um, I went to, we go to a financial planner, I don't know every great once in a while. <coughs> and he says to me, What's your goal? What's your goal? That's what they said. And I said, I don't want to end up in Clavering
1: Hughes.
3: <laughs> and so, that's like, you know, this financial respons- planner's responsibility, right? That's his mm-hmm. job is to help me um, so I can not have to be in a Medicaid facility at the mercy of the system, which is honestly, you know, working in it, scary. When I see hmm. if you have to use the restroom, you might make sure you can hold it for an hour or two and no one will take you to the bathroom. And um, that kind of thing, you know, that goes on, scares me to death. But these people, and it's getting more and more, our elderly, are poor, poor people mm-hmm. in this country, and um, I think I think they feel guilty now. You know, like I go to, what's your goal? To not end up like that. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, I think we, we become these grownups and we start being so, I you don't know, yeah. protective of our futures. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And I think that ties in with what you were saying about individuality is we all think I have to take care of myself instead of I have a community of people that will take care of me. Uh, I have a church community that would take care of me if I was sick. I have a family that would let me, you know, live with them if, if something happened. I think we think I have to do all of this on my own and, and probably in our culture we do um, well, rather than you know, this communal...
1: you don't want to put anybody out. You right. don't want to be a burden. Right. You know, all that kind of You're stuff
3: taking care of their families. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I can't tell you how many of the people that are in our facility that know that their family ever
0: showed up. They've dropped them off and they're
3: mm-hmm. done with yeah. them. Yeah. I think some of the outcasts... That's outcast- a scary thought of us not taking care of each
0: other. To absolutely. Even. I think the marginalized and the outcasts in our, in our society in the United States of America would include the elderly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very much
1: a, a man for himself. Yeah. Culture. The more that
3: goes on, this cycle of people not <coughs> taking care of it just continues.
0: Yeah. And then if we break that cycle,
1: then we won't have to, like, these issues wouldn't, like, arise. Right. Okay. Well, I think you have, <coughs> people are trying to break that cycle. I mean, a little bit, because I think about just where I live now, um, you know, the, just all this gentrification that's happening everywhere, you yes. know. But, yeah. Um, I think, I would, and I would say this, and especially people who are sitting in here, I feel like it's going to happen more with people who are in college now. Maybe less of us and not as much you know, not to just do age stair stuff, but probably you, all, cause you I feel like you all think more about it than I did. But I know when, growing up, everyone in our neighborhood knew everybody. Like, if I would if I was doing something wrong, the lady down the street <coughs> had every permission to spank me you know and it was just like <laughs> mom and she's like well you were messing up you know and then I'll get you when you get home and so but then or s- the same thing like like our house was in the center of our neighborhood and um everybody worked like all the parents worked and so people were just there were some parents who were gone for like all night you know <laughs> And so then they would be at our house and I would be mad because they would be eating our food because I was like that's my spaghetti you know but then and then now looking back it's like oh their <coughs> parents weren't there but you know you just took care of people and you a community exactly but then now i think we definitely went away from that by putting up gates and putting up you know and just being very leery and like i look there's a phase of life where i'm like looking out the window you know like oh, yeah, do i know these people and so i think now people are trying to move into areas mm-hmm. and be a part of that community because i live in in old hickory in a community called hopewell it's been a black community for forever and there's um a lot of older black people who live there but a lot of younger just to say what is white families m- moving in but trying to be a part of the community mm. um which is really cool and then you see that in east nashville you know chris yeah. and my friend chris yeah. try, you know just trying to get back into that mm-hmm. and move away from this like well, oh, this is mine, and you can't have it. we are trying to know each other. You know, it's just... yeah. It's a scary thing, it though, is. because
3: um, uh, Claverton Hughes was a black <laughs> high school, mm-hmm. and back in the day, and it, the street that's on is called Natchez, and it's a very strong black community where they all knew each other, and it's starting to gentrify, which I don't know that that, yeah. you know, my problem is they are... St- I mean, you can't drive down Natchez because they stop their cars and talk to each other, and mm-hmm. you're sitting there going... <laughs> Yes, yeah. I'll go around them. Yeah. I mean, because they all know each other and they're all in each other's business mm-hmm. still, which I think is nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, it, like I've heard too many times from these people in the skilled nursing centers, um, from the pan- there's too much entitlement. Sometimes I wonder, I shouldn't be <coughs> cursed with having to take care of my mom for the rest of my life
0: because she did. Mm-hmm. Why didn't should I
3: have to mm-hmm. do that? Because that's hard on me, mm-hmm. and we gotta careful because I feel like we feel like our right is to not have to be bothered by right. taking care of other people.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um
3: it's I've just seen previous generations and my own family and my husband's family who believe no, it's my responsibility to take care of my mom and my mother in law mm-hmm. and father in law. And I'm s i am think I'm seeing a decline in that. Mm-hmm. Even from, you know, like they had it maybe Maybe that's what it was. They didn't have a Medicare system in Israel. Right. <laughs> so you and, had to. And yeah. um, Medicaid system, and they, they took care of each other's families. And if you didn't, yeah. the Bible says you're doing something right. horribly wrong.
0: Absolutely. For sure. Man, this has been a great conversation. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so that concludes um section two and section three start is is entitled the questions that always come up so how, how do we read the bible what's the bible about and then the the last section is all right and here are the questions that people ask and the first one is what's with all those genealogies uh, so i want to talk about uh, uh two in particular so we have Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. Um, those are the only two gospels that include genealogies. Um, and the difference between those, I um, until recently had never really paid much attention to this, but if you read the names, they're different. Um, and it kind of makes you wonder, I wonder why these names are different. And one's because in Matthew's genealogy, it's tracing it from, uh, from Abraham to Joseph. And in Luke's genealogy, it traces it backwards from Mary. Uh, which was an unusual thing to do in that time. But Luke, it, all throughout Luke, all throughout Acts, uh, Luke shows that preferential treatment for uh, the people at the margin. So women are uh, valued very highly. The poor are valued very highly. Um, and so <coughs> you have, um, I love in Luke 3.23, it says, um, you know, Jesus was the son of Joseph, and in parentheses, as it was supposed, like wink, wink, we all know. So I'm going to tell you through Mary, this is who, this is who his family was. Um, and so in Luke it traces it all the way back to God. And so we're we're doing a couple of different things here. So in Matthew, um, you have 14 generations from Abraham to David, and then 14 generations from David to Jesus, which is pretty interesting. Um, but it's more interesting when you think so. Numbers were really important to um, to the Jewish people at this time. Um, in fact, a lot of graffiti that they're finding has numbers. It was kind of Uh, in some ways like code, like when they would talk about Uh, Like in Revelation, it's possible that they're talking about a a certain emperor because they use a number for this person. Uh, And so what they're doing is, um, so D, V, D. D was, um, what we translate as D is the fourth letter of the alphabet. V is the sixth, and then D is the fourth. When you add those together, you get 14. Um, And so 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to to Jesus. So what we're saying is that Jesus is the son of David, uh, which is important because all throughout um, the or not all throughout, but uh, in a handful of places in the um, the prophets. They talk about a coming son of David who is going to usher in this reign of God, this shalom of God, um, and he's going to be the rightful king. And, um and kind of restore Israel back to um, to what God had intended and so what Matthew is pronouncing about Jesus in this very opening chapter is Jesus is this person that we've been waiting for this son of David and he does it in a creative way that the Jews that he was addressing would have caught on to pretty quickly um, Luke is kind of talking to to um, a group of of uh, Jews and Gentiles and so um so what and and luke's point uh, again is always to give preference to the poor and to the oppressed so we have mary's song that talks about uh, what what god is going to do how god takes care of the poor how god loves the poor how he has smiled um, or shown favor on his on the lowliest servant Um, and we just see that all throughout luke even even in this genealogy Um, and so the point of the genealogies i love this quote is that the original audience of these stories and the genealogies in them is that those lists weren't boring. They were inspiring because God uses nobodies. So all these people you've never heard of led to something amazing. All of these people were faithful and their children were faithful and their children were faithful and they did their part in God's story, which led to something (coughs) incredible. Um, And so, um, and how do you acknowledge the role a nobody played in the redemption of all things? You write down their name and you remember them and you thank God for them and you vowed to do your part to carry on the tradition. So writing down somebody's name is this this sacred holy way of saying, I see you. I recognize you. Um, History may not care very much about you, but you played a very important part. You were somebody, you mattered. Um, When I went to Israel, we visited um, the Holocaust Museum in Israel. And it's called Yad Vashem, um, and it comes from a passage in scripture uh, where God says, I will give you uh, a a name and and, and a hand, uh, and it it means like a a comfort or or, um, guidance. And so this Holocaust Museum, the very last exhibit or or thing that you do is you go in this room that is stories and stories tall, and it's a circular room, and all around um, are these black binders filled with pages that say the names and the stories of the people that died. So um, a, a lot of these people were, um, um, were killed with all of their possessions. All of their possessions were burned. There's no memory of who these people are. And so they have interviewed thousands and thousands and thousands of people to document the names or a story about this person um, so that they say, we remember you, you were important. You're not a statistic. You're not just one in you know nine million people that were murdered you're an important person and you had a family and you matter they they write down their names Um, and that's what these genealogies are about is is these people are important Um, and even if you know by our standards they weren't uh you know famous or a celebrity or they didn't do anything really great your individual life matters Uh, your contribution matters the way that you raise your kids the way you treat your neighbors the way that you (coughs) um, the way that you behave matters it will change the life of somebody that will change the life of somebody that can have drastic implications. So I just thought that was really beautiful and appreciated him um, pointing that out. And then one more. So why is Leviticus in the Bible? (laughs) So um, Leviticus is interesting book. So how many of you have done like me, where you're gonna read through the whole Bible in a year and you get really excited and and Genesis is fun and Exodus is really cool. And then you get to Leviticus and you're like, oh, here we go, this is fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Leviticus is all of those rules that it feels kind of nitpicky and it's repetitive and it's about the sacrificial system which it's kind of like well we don't do that anymore so what's the point in me even reading this and then you know somewhere in the middle of february you're like well uh i not gonna read the Bible anymore. <laughs> no, don't, don't do that. That's terrible, but, um, but I think we've all been there where you get a little bit bored and you're like, what, okay, what's this all about? Uh, but I love uh, Rob Bell's take on this. So he says that in, in verse two of Leviticus, it talks about bringing an offering to God. An offering in Hebrew is the word korban. So it means offering, but it also means draw near. So it's the same word. So this offering is a way of drawing near to God. So um, for the ancient world, an offering would be to keep God happy, (laughs) to make sure that this God did not smite you. Uh, You didn't necessarily want that God super near to you because you didn't know what this angry, you know, uh, back and forth, hot and cold God might do to you. But this God, this God of Abraham, this God of the Israelite people was the kind of God that that you could draw near to, that you could have a relationship with. Um, And so I think that that's really neat. And he says that the repetition is important because it, it reminds you, those little things that you do, the way that you behave, the way you treat your neighbors, the way you treat your spouse, the way you love those around you, the way you care for, for the poor and the oppressed, those are important. It's worth remembering. It's worth reminding um, ourselves about on a regular basis. Um, and then why the <coughs> sacrificial system at all? Sorry, I'm kind of blowing through this, but we're getting close to the end of time. <laughs> so why the sacrificial system at all? Why couldn't we just cut straight to Jesus? Why did there have to be any of this? Um, And so Rob Bell, um, and and I think there are a lot of answers to this question, but the, the answer that Rob Bell gives is, it was a step. God meets people where they're at and he constantly pulls them forward. So this is the situation that they found themselves in. This was the culture, this is the religious culture that they found themselves in and God met them there. And he drew near to them in that situation and he pulled them further and then he met them there. And then he drew near to them and then he pulled them further. And he continues to do that today, so. Any questions or comments about any of that? All right. So, your homework this week is to go home and read Leviticus.
1: <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> no.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for your participation uh, this week. I think this was a great conversation. Uh, and if y'all here next week? Are y'all Are
1: y'all all gone for break?
0: Oh. Cool. For
2: those of you that are here, there will still be class.
0: Yeah, and for those of you that aren't, we record them, and you can listen to them online. How exciting.
1: We <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, so most of you will be gone about two weeks in a row then? Cool. Well, then we'll see you in a couple of weeks, and happy Thanksgiving, and blessings <laughs> to you all.